Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, David Farmer. Hey, Launch University listeners, David Farmer here, and I'm thrilled to have Jeff Henderson in the room. What's up, Jeff? Hey, David, it's you, me, and we don't know where Kevin and Shane are. So. It's you, me, <laughs> and this this thing I've got in my hand. It's a advanced reader copy. Is that the right terminology? You're, you're holding an arc. That's arc. Right. I'm holding the arc <laughs> of Jeff's new book that's about to hit, Know What You're For. Um, and in fact, we have recorded another podcast. If you're listening and you've not heard it, you may want to go back and we give the whole backstory on how Jeff uh, came to create this book, partnered up with Zondervan. It's about to hit. And we, and we talk not just about this book, but the process of how you kind of bring a big idea to life. Because that's, right. that's we spend a lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. Which is what we're all trying to do here. That's right. And um, you are a practitioner. And as you shared in the last podcast, this has been a two-year labor of love and so excited. It's not that you're done either because uh, you're about to really get out there and start to tell the story and promote it. But what a major milestone you've hit to get to the launch phase well, thanks, Dave. of this project. Yeah. So um, we gave the backstory in the last podcast, and what we're going to do now is I've asked Jeff if he would sort of outline some of the principles that are in this book. I'm going to tell you what, this is going to be awesome. Uh, it is a note-taking kind of podcast, but I know that a lot of you guys are in the car, you're at the gym, you're running. We'll take the notes for you. We'll put it in the uh, the show notes. But th- this is great stuff. Um, and uh, Jeff, not only, he just didn't sit around and just sort of think it up uh, for the book, <laughs> but he sort of lived it out through his uh, current role, his primary role as the, the campus pastor um, for not just Gwinnett Church, but... Is, how, how do we call the Hamilton Mill Church? Gwinnett Church. Gwinnett Church Gwinnett. at Hamilton Mill. Right. Two churches, two large churches, I might add, up on the, the northern side of uh, Metro Atlanta. So he's living it out there. He helped get these churches launched, and it's just fun to see how they're thriving. So it's almost been a laboratory for the great content we're it about to share. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, talk a little bit about the premise behind this book, Know What You're For. Mm-hmm. David, I think all of us have probably taken a marketing question from a business that said, how do you hear about us? And they list several options, you know, TV, radio, print, billboard, social media. And then there's this final box that says other. Other, yeah. And the other box always wins. And it drives marketing people like you and me crazy because we know what the other box is. It's the most powerful form of advertising that the world has ever seen and ever will know. And that's positive word of mouth advertising. But it seems so mysterious. It seems so elusive. So what we do is we just kind of forget it, throw our hands up in the air and go to paid advertising. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do paid advertising. But what I'm saying is I don't think the other box has to be so mysterious and elusive. I think we can figure it out. And if you figure it out, it is a gold mine for any business, any church, any organization. I love what Scott Cook says. He uh, runs into it. He says a brand is no longer what it tells customers it is. A brand is what customers tell other customers it is. That's, that's the game. That's the other box. But it'd be a mistake if you're a marketer to think you have no control over that box. Absolutely. And so we have to figure out, okay, we have to think through, well, how do we figure out the other box? How do we get people talking about it? And there's lots of things, okay? There's not just one answer. But if you were to say, Jeff, you can only, you can only put it on one piece of paper, I would say this. I think it comes down to two questions. Okay. And these two questions help you unlock the mystery of the other box. It takes the elusive mystery out of it, 
And these two questions do two things, David. They help grow your business and they help grow your career. That's how powerful these are. And these questions aren't just reserved for a business. They're actually great questions for you and me to ask ourselves. These questions, as we'll talk about maybe at the end, these two questions are challenging questions for me personally. So we're going to think about it from a business standpoint, but I want to think we're going to actually end up thinking about these two questions from a, from a personal standpoint. So these two questions, there's one question for the business and the organization, and there's one question for the customer. So these two questions, let me walk through these real quick, if that's okay. And yeah. this, the, the premise of the book is basically built on this. So if you don't like this, you don't have to get the book. So question number one is, what do you want to be known for? So when people talk about your business, your organization, what do you want to be known for? What's your compelling vision? What's your unique place in the marketplace? Steve Jobs said, hey, we want to put a dent in the universe. How are you putting a dent in the universe? What's your unique proposition? Here's what we want to be known for. So if somebody's talking about your organization at work, at the water cooler, whatever, however that works, and your organization, your nonprofit, your business comes up, what do you want to be known for? And here's why this is so important. This is important for lots of reasons, but if there's confusion in the office space about this question, there will most definitely be confusion in the marketplace. And if, you don't, if you're not sure what, if the team isn't sure what we want to be known for, then we're going to be sending all sorts of different confusing messages. That's it's, strong, yeah. It's much like when Al Reese was consulting with Burger King and they brought him in to increase their chicken sandwich sales. So the meeting begins and he says, hey, can I take everybody outside? And they go, well, okay. So the whole marketing team goes outside and they stand next to the Burger King sign. And Al Reese points to the sign and says, what does that sign say? And everybody looks at him like, what, what do you mean? And he goes, what is, tell me what the sign says. And they said, well, it says Burger King. He goes, absolutely. You want to be known for being the king of burgers. Here's my question. Why are you selling chicken sandwiches? And in that moment, I, I don't know if they fired out at that point or not, because <laughs> they were still selling chicken sandwiches. But the point is, is you can't be known for everything. You can be known for something. And if, if you can be really crystal clear and deliver on that, it's going to help your organization tremendously. But does everybody know what you want to be known for on the team? You know, you, I can't tell you what's going through my mind as well. I think that question is so important these days because there's a lot of skepticism, maybe cynicism mm -hmm. around organizations right. that we used to trust. Yep. So, I mean, that's whether it's politics, whether it's churches, whether it's local government, businesses for sure. I mean, some of the most, I mean, th Take uh, Facebook, for example, you know, they, they were a darling for so long, but now all the privacy concerns, people don't know if they can trust them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's true at every level, you know, are, um, what are they going to think about your church? What are they going to think about Chick-fil-A? What are they going to think about our local businesses? Absolutely. So yeah. um, I like the fact that you're being proactive around that issue and not just letting it happen mm -hmm. to you. Right. And the reason that this isn't a, a marketing slogan necessarily is because of the second question. It's not just, it's not enough to say, here's what we want to be known for. The second question really is probably the most convicting question. And that is, what are you known for? And that's the customer's reflection back to you on how you're doing. And here's the power of those two questions. When what you want to be known for is what you are known for. When your compelling vision is actually being experienced by your customers, members, attenders, however that works for you, when those two questions, the answers match, you 
leverage the other box. You create a sales force for free. You harness the power of positive word of mouth advertising. You create vision carriers who will become vision casters and will tell their friends about you. That's really, really simple. It's not easy and it's difficult, but it's simple. The reality for any organization is that there's a gap. Yeah. There's no perfect organization. So we need to, you know, we need to understand that. Truett said, perfection is not the goal, but excellence is accepted. So excellence is the goal. So how does, here's why I tell every organization, if you want to create synergy and stop the silos in your organization, you just get your leadership team to focus on these two questions. And how do we shrink the gap between these two questions? Can I ask, how do you, how do you get a good read on the answer to that second question? What are you known for? Mm -hmm. The good thing, David, there's actually uh, research in the book that organizations can actually download for free that's basically a test that they can send out to their customers. So there's some research, there, there's a research document in the book that you can act actually leverage and send out to your customers, however that might look for you. But I talk about walking around and doing a vision inventory around your team, around the office, and just stopping by and saying, hey, what do you think we're known for? And just seeing what, what answers and I would say sometimes if you haven't done this in a while, there won't be an answer, there will be answers. So you got to go into that exercise with an open mind. Absolutely. N and not be defensive because truth is your friend. Right. And you, if, you, if you figure this out, you'll know if you've got a gap or not. Yep. And that's going to be critical, I guess, really foundational to knowing where you go from there. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a documented research, formulaic research in the book that you can access. And there's... I think I would say probably uh, just walk around the office research. I think both could go hand in hand, but I've discovered that you can get a good feel on this just by walking around and asking people, what do, you, what do you think we're known for? And that will get them thinking. And I think a great conversation for any leadership team to have on a consistent basis is what do you think we're known for and what are we known for? Yeah, and I bet you, um, I mean, there's lots of us that have never taken the time and really the, the just, just put the hard work into thinking through uh, what do we want to be known for? And then building um, alignment across that 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 theme within your organization. Yeah. That in and of itself um, could represent a breakthrough for folks. But then to understand how you're actually perceived right now, know what the gap is, if there is a gap, know how to close that gap, That that's huge. Mm -hmm. Well, to your point, this... These two questions, I've lived with these two questions for years now. And in yeah. fact, if I can give you an example, this, this book is a business book. It's not a church book. But I give an example from, our, from my world at, at Gwinnett Church about how we actually leveraged these two questions in the early days. And we did what we're asking everybody to do. I had four people on our team, and we, said, we got away and said, hey, what do we want to be known for, and what are we known for? In the early days, we weren't even really up and running. So it was really like, hey, what is the church, the global church, known for? And in our conversation, somebody said, well, you know, many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Yeah. We should be known for what we're for. And I'll never forget that moment. It's just like everything stopped for a moment. And then I said, all right, that's pretty powerful. What do we want to be known for? And then that's when it started. Well, we want to be for Gwinnett County, and we want to be for Gwinnett students and families and businesses and churches and schools. And I thought, that's it. We're for Gwinnett. And so from, the very, from that point on, that's what we've wanted to be known for is that we are for our community. And yeah, there, there are some things that we believe that we want to be for as well. And yes, there are some things that we're against in this world. But at the end of the day, we want to be known for being for Gwinnett. And it's been fun for me. People have actually come up to me and said, hey, I go to Fort Gwinnett Church. 
Yeah. I'm like, well, okay, whatever, as long as you're there and you know we're for you, that's cool with me. Well, if you, um, if you have not listened to the previous episode, go back and pick up on that because Jeff and I unpacked this story, uh, really how he launched Gwinnett Church and in doing so flipped the script. And as, as he was building a huge building up there on a very, I mean, it was very prominent. You can't live up in that area and not see it uh, on a major thoroughfare. Uh, it was not about celebrating the church. It was about this new church that was coming into the community. It was about how the people of the church were going to go out and celebrate everything else that was happening in this part of town. Right. Schools, businesses, restaurants, organizations, um, and demonstrate, hey, we're for you. And goodness, couldn't we use a whole big dose of that all, all across our country right now, right? Yeah, and that's what we've been telling people. And it's been fun. We, we said in the earlier podcast about this kind of organic thing that's kind of happening. And we've, I think people are resonating with in a hypercritical, cynical world, often known for what it's against. Let's be a group of people known for what we're for. I think that's a much more, much more positive way to bring change in the world. All right, let's go a little deeper on that. You've got this sort of for ethos and uh, you've put an enormous amount of thought to it. You've, you've lived it out and tested it. Unpack that a little bit for the listeners right now. What, what does that comprise of? Again, we're, we're talking about growth. We want to grow your business and career. So when it comes to a business, you got to have good products and yep. you got to you know, have good service and all that. So there, there are a lot of answers to this. But I think ultimately you have to be for four groups of people and you create a four culture. And what this does is that it, it, it really shifts the spotlight and moves the spotlight away from the business to these four groups of people that the organization serves so that the, these people aren't a means to an end to just... The ultimately, the most important thing is the business. The most important thing is this business serving people. And while that may sound altruistic, what I've discovered in through research for this book and through some other things and just from what we've experienced personally, that's where the game is going. And one of the things I say in the book is that if a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissist mm. because the spotlight is fully on the book. I'm, I'm sorry, fully on the, the brand. And, yeah. and so... I've been with big brands before, and I've said, hey, let's go to your Instagram page, and let's count how many of the last 10 posts are about you and how many of the 10 posts are about the community and what you're doing and all of that. And clearly the spotlight is, look at what we're doing. Look at our products. Look how great we are. Look at how much better we are than our competitors. That, and I see this in the mobile ind phone industry where they are, we're so much better than yeah. the competitors. One of the things Our I say network, that, your network. Yeah, we're much 3G, better. 3G, 4G, right. 5G. What I say in the book is customers are too sophisticated for that. It does not surprise us that you think you're better than your competitors. What I would encourage you to do is to understand where, where is the world right now? Anxiety among teenagers spiked in 2012 and has been escalating ever since. Sociologists are saying one of the reasons for that is cell phones and social media. If you help me as a parent with my kid's cell phone, I don't care if you think you're better than your competitor. If you'll help me with that and be for me, I'll be for you. Mm. That's where this game is going. And the, the, the companies that understand, hey, it's not about that we think we're so much better than our competitors, but how can I help you? And how can, and we've talked about this in launch, how can I help you solve a problem with my products and services? That's going to be the winner long term. You're talking about a vision that's bigger. It's, I think, more sophisticated. It's altruistic. Mm -hmm. and, and what I hear you saying is that 
is going to resonate with customers. It's no longer about being the best company in the world. It's about being the best company for the world. Ooh, okay. That's where this is going. All right, so keep unpack this a little bit more. So there are four groups to be for, for the customer, for the team, for the community, for you. Let's just give you a couple of examples in terms of for the customer. I think when it comes to, let's just take something, David, social media. I think most organizations don't practice social media because they forget the social in social media. And so basically social media is housed under the advertising department and it's treated as advertising. Social media should be under the, there should be a separate department called customer engagement. That's what this is. It's proactively engaging the customer. So customer services, I didn't, my product wasn't great. Customer engagement is, hey, I see your life out there. I want to help you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. An example of this is one of the things that bothers me about big brands is the discrepancies between followers and who they're following. So for example, they'll have hundreds of thousands of followers, maybe millions, and then you look at who they're following and it's like 300 based on 500, 600, a million followers. There's a discrepancy there. And what that shows is the spotlight is on us. It's all about us. We're, this is, we're not engaging with anyone. This is just digital advertising. We're the center of our own universe. Right. But one of the ways that you can be for the customer, and I don't know why brands aren't doing this enough, but this is where the game's going. I, I firmly believe this. I showed this with a multi-billion dollar brand recently. They have 700,000 followers on Instagram. I said, let's pick one of them. And I said, Here, here's Dana. She follows you, by the way, on Instagram. So she's a fan of yours, or at least she's interested in you. She just got engaged. If you went, on, went, on, went off of your platform onto hers and said, hey, Dana, congratulations. Uh, we're so excited about your engagement. The next time that they're driving down the road, let's say she gets married six months later, they want to use this company's products and the competitor's on the left side and you're on the right side. As they're driving down the road, do you think the conversation will happen that, hey, remember the time that they commented on my Instagram post? That's where this thing's going. Yeah. And when you get personal like that, people notice. I, an example for us in our in our personal lives is, couple years ago, we bought tickets to go see the Johnny Swim um, musical duo. I never I had not heard of Johnny Swim before. I thought it may have been an Olympic swimmer, but no, they're two great musicians. And my daughter, Jessie, was huge fans. So she was interning for an organization and they said, hey, here's Jessie Henderson and this is what she likes and she likes this food and she's obsessed with Johnny Swim and they tagged Johnny Swim. Well, we got tickets for the concert, but Wendy, my wife said, hey, what if we bought some backstage passes? And I said, well, how much are the backstage passes? And she said, well, there's $50. And I said, well, we have four people in our family. I'm not good at math, but I think that's $200. We're already spending a lot on college and these tickets. I don't know if we should do this. So this Instagram post happens. Jesse's obsessed with Johnny Swim. Well, guess who comments? Johnny Swim. And they said, we love Jesse already. And the next thing I know, we have this little text thread called Fam Jam. It just blew up. Jesse said, oh my goodness, look who commented on my Instagram feed page. Well, guess what happened next? We bought the four backstage passes. All right. And here's, here's what's so powerful about that. Johnny Swim went off of their platform, connected with my daughter, made her day. She tells her dad, her dad buys $200 worth of tickets, all with one click of a button. It's more than just the, uh, the revenue, the $200 in revenue. You're at a different level of engagement now. Absolutely. We've now been to two Johnny Swim concerts. I know who they are. They made my daughter's life uh, that day, rather. And I love them for that. They're actually in the book, in the picture, 
of them with us is in the book. The point is this. Now their careers are really going to take <laughs> off. So, so That's you right. never know where these things are going. <laughs> I say all that to say, become a fan of the customer. I firmly believe in what Kim Blanchard wrote about raving fans. I firmly believe in Chick-fil-A strategy of creating raving fans. All of that is still intact. But... I think we have to go further than that now. I think the organization has to become a raving fan of the customer. And in many ways, cust uh, companies have seen themselves as being the, if you think of it from a football standpoint, that they're on the field and the customers are in the fans, cheer stands cheering them on. I don't think that's how you should think about this anymore. The customers are on the field and the businesses and organizations should be in the stands cheering them on. When you have that mindset, it changes everything you do in terms of messaging. That's a big idea. All right, let's go from the customer to talking about what it means to be for the team. Yeah, this is a big idea in terms of for the team because this truth is so important. The customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. Let me say that again. The customer is eventually treated like the team is treated and the customer is eventually treated how the team treats one another. And you know this going into any organization, you can feel it. You, right when you walk in, you can, I can feel how the team is being treated because it flows from them, through them, to me. Yeah. And I can tell it instantly. And it's easy to fake great customer service on a TV ad. It's impossible to do, to do that consistently if you're not treating the team correctly. And so in this particular chapter of the book, what I do, David, is I talk about a, a circular diagram that helps you create a for the team culture. Yeah. And because culture is created by default or by design. Yep. If you say, hey, I don't have time to create a great for team, the team culture, well, just know you just have decided how you're gonna create your culture. It's gonna happen by default or by design. And so what I do in this particular section of the book is I just share some things that I've learned from other people like Frank Blake, the former CEO of Home Depot and, and Dan Cathy and Cheryl Botchelder and you and other great leaders. And I've just kind of stolen from you guys and said, hey, I think there's a five circular process that if you'll just continue to go through this, that it helps you be for the team. And when you're for the team, you'll become for the customer. Can I share uh, just sort of a Chick-fil-A principle yeah, that I think Please. relates not only to for the team, but also uh, back one step for the customer. When our founder, Shruit Kathy, um, looked to grow his business, um, he decided he was less interested in just attracting capital to grow the business. He wanted really good leaders. Right. And he really only wanted them to have one restaurant. And the premise behind that was he wanted them to be as close to the customer or the guest as possible but he also wanted them to be engaged with the team. And I think he intuitively picked up what you're highlighting in these principles. If he could treat his team well, if he could almost create a sense of family within his business, those team members or family members would in turn treat customers with respect and like family. And he built his business that way. And there's all kinds of phenomenal stories, not just what he did for customers, how he kept lists and if they had needs, he tried to figure out, could he help them? But he also got very involved in the lives of his team members. There's some phenomenal stories about how he helped send them to school, yeah. uh, helped raise money when they had needs, was there when they went through tough times. Uh, he lived that out. And so uh, all that to say, it's sort of the premise of our business model today where our owner operators, there are some that have two and maybe even three locations, but they're still very engaged with their teams and their customers 
um, so that they're, they're just structurally in a position where they can be difference makers. They're investors. They're not investors. They're leaders. Yeah. And we just talked about a few days ago about a story that's talk about being for the team and for the customer. You've got this particular store up in North Georgia where uh, a lady comes through, a mom comes through, and her son is choking in the back. And there was a team member there that jumped through the drive-through window. Yeah, Logan, I got to meet him. Yeah, and and helped save and rescue this young kid who was choking in the back, and then went back in and just kept working at the boy. Yeah, I saw him on the news this week, and a car dealership was awarding him a vehicle. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and he literally, if you don't know this story, you can look it up online. But um, he saw a child in the back seat choking. Saw a mom desperate jumped through the drive-through window, had a knife that he carries in his pocket to open boxes. We have lots of boxes. Asked the mom, he had the presence of mind saying, can I cut your seatbelt? She says, please. He cut, I don't know exactly how the seatbelt got wrapped around the child's neck, but he may have been playing or something, but he was turning blue mm. and um, saved that kid's life. It's unbelievable. And you hear that and you think, wow, that's a really cool story. But no, 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 it, it is a cool story. But there's that doesn't happen by accident you have to create a culture that people you hire folks you you cast vision for how we want to serve the customers and all of that is very intentional and you have to be for the team because again the customer is treated like the team is treated yeah that's great so we got for the customer for the team Mm -hmm. let's go um let's go the community for the community basically this means if your sole purpose is to stay in business you won't you have to have a bigger purpose. You have to have a bigger vision. And this may sound altruistic and just, you know, something like a pastor would say, Jeff. But I would tell those of you who are business leaders, you have to think like a church leader. You have to think of what is our purpose. I often tell church leaders, hey, there's a whole lot we could learn from the business world, which is true. But in this particular case, I think this is where business leaders can learn from church leaders or nonprofit leaders. Because really, the only thing we have to sell is purpose and change and what we're doing. And so what is your purpose? As I mentioned earlier, you've got to be the best company for the world. And all of this, we, we talk about there's a system here, just like there's a system with the team. In this particular section of the book, we talk about how you can bake purpose into the purchase. And when you bake purpose into the purchase, when people purchase it's helping them fuel the purpose. And they, that's who they want to be. I talk about some research in the book. Or I, I should say this. That's who they want to support. There's some research in the book that talks about meaningful brands. And almost 80% of people couldn't care about a lot of the brands because they said, we don't think these brands care about mm. Yeah. I think that's a gold mine of opportunity for the 20% that say, hey, we want to be meaningful to you. Yeah. But to be meaningful for the larger community, you have to do good for goodness sake. You have to do good because it's the good thing and the right thing to do. There's so much, I said it earlier, but there's so much cynicism right now. It creates an enormous opportunity for the organizations or businesses that do this right. And they come at it with pure motives. Just last week, um, I went to the Atlanta Idea Festival, um, which was put on by our good friend Jeff. Hen- uh, I said Jeff Henderson. That's you. He's a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> but Jeff Schinnerberger uh, of Plywood, Plywood People, and he had a phenomenal event. And our own Kevin Jennings, a Launch University mentor, spoke, and he talked about generosity as a powerful. Um, marketing and branding strategy. It was this very point. It can't be contrived or faked. It's got to be real. But when it is, it 
is so refreshing to customers. Um, they, they, they want to, to get behind you. And I think they're willing to pay more. I think yeah. they're willing to give more. Yeah. And it does change the value proposition. Absolutely. One of the things that is a huge win for us is when we go into the community on our Instagram page, we feature businesses because we want to, the business world and the church world, they don't really talk to one another. Yeah. So we'll go to businesses and say, hey, can we feature you on the Instagram, our Instagram feed? And they'll say, well, well sure, but, but why? And we'll say, well, because you're hiring people in our community. We believe thriving communities have thriving businesses. If we don't have thriving businesses, you leave. We, we can't employ people. And every, I mean, that's really important. And so we'll just feature them. And then they'll say, well, do you want us to put flyers in the church and our, our, you know, about Gwinnett Church? And we say, no, no, we, we, we don't want that. We just want to feature you. And they always ask this question, David. They go, thank you so much, but why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a no hook, no, you know, it's not a bait and switch. We generally want to be for you. Now, the question I get all the time is, well, you can't do this for every business, so how do you do it for some? And I quote my friend and boss, Andy Stanley, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Yeah. And one of the things I also learned from, from Dan Cathy is we want to grow, but we want to grow small. I want for people to go, how did, how did you notice me? How did you, you like my Instagram page? You, I can't do that for everybody, but I can do it enough for people so that they'll, they'll feel in a very real way, wow, this big church noticed me. This big brand noticed me. Yeah. Dan's always on us about uh, growing a small company, which is so counterintuitive that if you think smaller and you, you live that out, it may actually result in you becoming bigger. That's certainly been our story. Mm -hmm. So you just break it into pieces. All right. So we've gone through the customer team and community. Um, bring us home. Let's talk about for you. This might actually be the most important one because if you're going to do this, you're going to have to have enough energy, margin, rest to do what I call, David, is remain inspired. And if you think about it, nothing big happens without inspiration. But I, I think we, we have a misunderstanding of inspiration because what happens is we go to a two-day conference to get inspired, and then we have 363 days of our, our regular life. Yeah, And you just can't remain inspired off of two days. So there has to be some systematic ways that you remain inspired consistently. And I talk, and this, this chapter isn't an exhaustive list. I don't know that there is an exhaustive list, but I talk about seven ways for you and me to remain inspired. One of those is just simply this, that, that, um, that you can, a, a great day, when it comes to having a great day, a great day begins the night before. And I've, I've learned this from our mutual friend, Tommy Newberry, that if you write down three things that define the day before you go to bed, then you know already how that day is going to go, what the win is. That allows me to get up and put my feet on the floor and not entertain all the fear and insecurity and this isn't going well and all of that, but to go, I got three things to do today. Yeah, Tommy teaches EMSR, Early Morning Success Ritual, but I've found in order to have an EMSR, sometimes I have to have an LNSR, which is my late night success ritual, right. which means it's like I got to get my workout clothes out. Mm -hmm. So it's one less thing to do when I get up early in the morning, I'm trying to go work out, I'm stripping the friction out. Yeah, yeah. And another principle in this is that your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. And so if you're going to remain inspired, you can, you can discount you know, moving at a sustainable pace, but your body will eventually catch up with you. I know for me, when I'm not moving at a, a sustainable pace over time, I start getting a sore throat and my body begins to shut down. 
I don't mm. want that to happen. Yeah. So rest for me has become a non-negotiable. Now, there are seasons that go up and down. It gets crazy. I'm about to enter into a crazy season. But I know in this crazy season, I still got to find time to exercise. I still have to find time to try to get, you know, eight hours of sleep. And, and you may not be able to get eight right now if you've got a small kid or whatever. But just knowing that my life moves at a better, it moves to a better place when I move at a sustainable pace, that allows me to remain inspired. Well, Jeff, this is this is so good, and I'm so excited. Uh, I'm excited for you because this, again, it represents a huge milestone and a big dream that you've had, and we all have those. So we got to get behind one another and encourage and support and cheer for. So I, I'm super pumped about this launch that's about to happen. But there's great stuff here, and I really just want to challenge listeners. Go to the show notes. We've got this outline there. But spend some time reflecting on what do you want to be known for mm-hmm. and go through the exercise to assess what are you actually known for right now and figure out what that gap might look like. And, David, to close out, I would say this, too. Once you think about this from an organizational standpoint, then I want to challenge you to think about it from a personal standpoint. Yeah. What do you want to be known for? And I can give you one of my answers to that real quick if that would be helpful. Love to close it. out. One of the things I want to be known for is I want to be known for being for the person right in front of me, mm. whoever that may be. It could be the barista at the coffee shop. Yeah. It could be David Farmer. It could be Bring somebody. It. <laughs> it could be it could be somebody at Gwinnett Church. It could be going through the dry dry cleaners. Whoever is right in front of me, I don't think of that as just a coincidence and it's just a random interaction. If you take that mindset and go into every day going, I'm going to be for the person right in front of me, I think that can be a huge way to see that every day is full of opportunities that you can show people that you're for them. Yeah, well, let me encourage uh, listeners to consider taking one more step. Uh, I know you can go to Amazon and you can pre-order Jeff's book, Know What You're For, I've already got my first batch I've pre-ordered. Thank you. You're one of the first purchasers, I, by the way. I know. Time for me to go get another batch. I'm batching it because Jeff told me <laughs> I'm trying to bust the uh, Amazon uh, <laughs> algorithm. So I'm, I'm spreading my purchase, That's purchases right. out. Uh, but um, if I could shift ge- geography, apparently that would help as well. Yeah. But at any rate, I'm going to go buy some more. But you can go to Amazon and, and look for uh, Jeff's book, Know What You're For, um, and it's going to, is there a hard date, Jeff, that's going to, uh, hit? Interesting thing, David. So it's October 1st, which okay, is my, we're recording this in August right now. Yeah. So October 1st is my dad's birthday. So oh. when, when Zondervan said, Hey, we, uh, look the day we think we've selected October 1st. I thought, yeah, you didn't select that. So that's, that's a pretty cool date. That's so cool because, um, that's a whole nother story, but he is, uh, he's a hero to Jeff and was an unbelievable man. Mm-hmm. So, well, Jeff, thanks uh, so much for just your willingness even to share so much great content instead of forcing everybody to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to encourage you to think about buying it because it's, it's worthy of going deep on and really understanding this. It can, it can it could transform your own uh, personal mission and certainly the organizations that you're part of, whether you're um, serving or, or working in. So great stuff. want to thank, thank our listeners for taking the time to tune in. Um, Until next time, uh, get out there and make something great happen. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.